chaos, soft and mild, blessed are the meek, serene and styled. In gentle whispers they reside, with quiet strength they do abide. Through tempests wild and storms that roar, their steadfast hearts seek peace and more. For in humility's embrace they find a refuge, a sacred space. In world's domain of blustered pride, the meek retreat their hearts confide. Their souls unburdened by the weight of worldly laurels and debate. Though voices loud may drown their own, in hushed resolve their truth is sown. For in the silence wisdom thrives, and in submission courage strives. Blessed are the meek who turn the cheek when anger's flames around them speak. For in forgiveness they release the chains of hate and find inner peace. In moments dark they stand their ground, their spirits firm, their voices sound. With empathy they mend the hearts of broken souls where healing starts. The world may scorn their gentle art, misunderstand their noble heart. Yet in the meekness there lies strength to rise above all pain's full length. They sow the seeds of love and grace in barren lands where hatred's trace seeks to divide and conquer all, yet meekness stands unshaken wall. Blessed are the meek, the humble few, whose spirits soar steadfast and true, for in their quiet, solemn light, they champion love's sacred fight. So let us learn from those who find their strength and gentleness entwined, for in their meekness we may see a path to peace and unity. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? How are, you, are you guys loving these videos? They are amazing. Um, because you guys were a little chit-chatty this morning, you might have missed the first part of the videos, and I want you to know that we are posting them each week after the Sunday message, so if you missed the beginning of that or if you want to go back and revisit any of the other ones, please do so. I know that we've shouted this out every week, but still, oh, Miss Maribel from E3Kids writing those poems. Oh my gosh, they're just amazing. Tons of people in the community that are giving their time to record it. Jason for editing it. I mean, it's just uh, such a, an incredible part of this series, I think. So don't miss out on them. Go back and revisit them and, and make sure you can take in the words. Anyway, that was a side note. Um, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my message today, but it was important. Anyway, um, I am Pastor Lori, and I want to welcome you to E3 this morning and welcome you to the continuation of this series that we have been in called The Beatitudes, where we are uh, taking a look at the first section of Jesus's very well-known Sermon on the Mount, which can be found right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And we've already talked about the first two blessed R's. Pastor Scott taught a couple weeks ago uh, on the blessed are the poor in spirit. Pastor Mike taught last week on those who mourn. And this week, we're just going to jump into the very next one, which is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> who doesn't love to talk about the meek? Um, <laughs> so, well, I don't know. Hold on. We'll see if you have fun. Um, we're going to spend most of our time together this morning talking about this seemingly little statement. And we're, <clears throat> excuse me. We're going to first start by talking about this word meek and who Jesus was referring to when he spoke this. Now, I want to explore with you the possibility that maybe we have a different understanding of this word meek now than what was intended when it was used here in Matthew. 
So I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the word meek, I typically think about it as a negative description of somebody, right? I tend to think of somebody who is maybe a little too timid and a little too shy and maybe somebody who lacks courage. And I really tend to think of it as someone who is weak. Does anybody else? Yeah. But I want to say to you this morning, an important thing, meekness is not weakness. Okay? We're going to unpack that. The way I want to illustrate that to you is to look at other places where we find the word meek used in Scripture. And one place that we can see it used is in the Old Testament when it's used to describe Moses. Now, if you remember Moses, you probably remember that he may not have been the bravest person that God could have chosen for the task that he gave him, right? I mean, he was at the very least reluctant when God asked him to do some very important things, but he certainly wasn't weak. And here's the, here's the kicker that you need to know about Moses. What he was, was willing, eventually at least, right? Yeah, had to throw that in because he didn't say yes right away. Um, in fact, how many times did he say no? <laughs> let's, not, let's not hash that out. Uh, but but he, he was willing eventually. Another place that we find meek used to describe some was actually in Matthew chapter 11, just a few pages over from our verse today, where Jesus actually describes himself as meek and lowly in heart. Now, I don't think that Jesus used the word meek here, and I don't think that use is intended to describe himself as weak or powerless. Do you? I don't think so either. And when we look at scripture, it's also important for us to consider always when we look at scripture, we need to consider who the audience was for what was being said or written, okay? Now, we don't know for certain if Matthew wrote the, the, the book of Matthew, if he wrote these things down in the exact chronological order that they happened. So we don't know that this sermon found in chapter five happened immediately before what, is, what happened in chapter four. But I can tell you that in chapter four, at the end of Matthew chapter four, we are told about how Jesus taught throughout the land. And we're also told about some of the people who gathered whenever Jesus spoke. So I want you to pay attention as I read this for us. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Those are important descriptions. Other places in Scripture also describe the people who were in the crowds when Jesus spoke. And they're described as lepers, sick, diseased demon-possessed, paralyzed, widowed, and orphaned. The crowds were made up of people who were in their societal structure, powerless and marginalized in their own communities. They were social outcasts. And this, I think, is important for us to consider because given this, does that make the word meek take on a different meaning for us this morning? 
it does for me. Because many of the people in these crowds are already at the bottom rung of their society. They have the least power of anyone in their community. And so it's just hard for me to imagine that Jesus is asking them to be weaker than they already are. And if this represents at least some of the people that Jesus is speaking to, isn't it possible that instead of telling them to be even lower than they are, maybe what he means here is, blessed are those who are willing to submit and surrender to this different life that he's offering them. And in doing that, they will inherit the earth. So we have to look at our understanding of what meek means as it is used in scripture. And to help us do that, I want to look at another translation of this verse. Other, other translations, you can, you can find it in different, in different translations. Matthew 5, 5 says, or say this, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Does that paint a picture for anybody of, of considering meek versus humble? So let's spend a couple minutes and talk about this word humble. What does that word mean to us? What do we think about that word when we consider people like Moses or when we consider people like Jesus? What do we think about that word when we consider ourselves? What does humility really mean to us? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says that true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And this, my friends, really gets to this upside down kingdom that we've been talking about, right? This upside down kingdom that Jesus is always talking about, that God's kingdom operates differently than our worldly kingdom does. Our culture and our society tell us that pride is a good thing and that being powerful is what we should strive for at almost any cost. That having power and status is how to get what you want in this world. And that was just as true in the culture when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. That was true for them too. There was a sorting of people then just like there is a sorting of people now. Those with more are worth more. Has anybody heard that or felt that? But Jesus is shaking things all the way up and saying that is not how it is in God's kingdom. To inherit the earth, instead of proud, you must be humble. Instead of striving for more power, you need to acknowledge your powerlessness. Instead of trying to become strong and mighty, you need to consider yourself as meek, lowly in heart, and in desperate need of a savior. Instead of trying to go our own way under our own power, we need to surrender our plans our own plans, and all and all that we think we are to God and to trust what he has for us and more importantly, to trust who he says we are. That is humility. That's the meekness that Jesus is talking about here in this verse. The inheritance of the kingdom that is here on earth is available to all of us. The lepers, the outcasts of society, the marginalized and, marginalized, and also for all of us who are just willing to humble ourselves 
Pride or having a false sense of confidence or self-sufficiency actually stunts our growth. We have to, to, to learn our dependence and reliance on God. That's humility. Humility is not the same thing as low self-esteem, and it's not the opposite of confidence. Humility is not over or under estimating your sense of worth. And this is important for us to talk about because we have a tendency to think of pride, the opposite of humility, only in terms of boasting or having an inflated ego or an overestimated sense of worth. But there's another side of pride, and it happens to be the side of pride that I actually struggle with, which is insecurity. Anybody else? It's an underestimated sense of worth. It's thinking less of myself than how God sees me. That's also a form of pride. That was shocking to me when I found that out and humiliating also. <laughs> Any label that I put on myself that describes me as less than or undervalued, not as smart, not as rich, not as talented, not as good of a teacher, not as thin, not as tall. It's all right. You can laugh. I've, I've dealt with it in my years. Not as you can fill in the blank however you want to fill in the blank. But any of these labels or comparisons that I make are actually attacking who God says I am. It's as if I'm saying that God has made this colossal mistake and gotten it all wrong when he calls me his beloved. Jesus is saying that his kingdom on earth is for all of us and we all have and all we have to do is acknowledge that he has something better for us than what the world can offer. We are not and should not be defined by how the world sees us, but how God sees us. And frankly, those definitions often conflict with each other, don't they? And this represents this idea of this upside down kingdom that Jesus is talking about in this sermon. And actually the idea that's threaded throughout his entire story in his ministry. It's an invitation to all of us to live differently than the world around us, to see ourselves differently than the world sees us, to define ourselves as nothing more or nothing less than how God defines us. And we are the ones who will inherit the earth. We, the ones who are marginalized by society. We, the lepers, the diseased, the sick. We, the Democrats and the Republicans. We, the billionaires and those who are food or housing insecure. We are the meek and we will inherit the earth. For one last thought on hum about humility, let's look at Jesus' example of humility found in John chapter 13, where Jesus sits on the floor before each of his disciples with a wash basin and a towel, and he washes their feet. Let me say that again. Jesus washes their feet. Jesus washes the feet of the ones who have been following him so closely, 
the ones that he loves, the ones who have walked every dust-filled, filthy, dirty mile of his ministry with him. This king who has humbled himself by coming to our world as a baby is once again humbling himself by kneeling before his friends and get this, including Judas, the one he already knows will betray him. He humbles himself, he kneels before them, and he washes their feet. This isn't about Jesus being weak. It's about Jesus being meek. This isn't somebody who is proud. It's somebody who is teaching us how to humble ourselves, right? It's not an indicator of Jesus feeling less than his disciples. It's him saying that we are all more than and also less than we think we are or how the world would describe us. So a question for you this morning is how do you see yourself? Do you have an overestimated view of yourself or do you have an underestimated view of yourself? And has that view been mainly influenced by the world's measuring stick, by the way the world would, would estimate your value or your worth? Because both of these views are dangerous for us because they both disregard our true belovedness as defined by God's view of us. Jesus tells us that the meek will inherit the earth because he's describing the people of God as humble in spirit, as ones who care about the needs of others more than they care about them glorifying themselves. And there is significance in knowing who the audience was when Jesus gave this sermon, and there is significance in understanding who his audience is now, today. I want you to imagine something for just a moment, and this probably is gonna sound a little harsh, but I want you to stay with me here. Imagine that God is saying to you, you have nothing that I need. I already have everything that I need. You have nothing that I need, but I still want you so desperately so much that I'm willing to sacrifice literally everything, including my life for you. Does that right-size us in our view of ourselves? It does me. It, it reminds me that there is literally nothing that I can do or offer to God that would be something that he needs, but it isn't about what I can do. It's about who I am. It's about who you are, who we all are, and how we live together and work together and love each other. In God's upside-down kingdom, our weakness is actually our strength, and our strength is our meekness, our humility. So how does this affect how we live in community with one another? Well, I think... Some of the ways that it affects how we live in community can actually be found by looking at the values, the E3 values that are posted in the lobby. This is a list, th these values are a list of things that we say as a community, that we have agreed as a community that uh, this is how we will live. They, we like to say that these values provide the guardrails for how we, were, we will operate as a community of believers uh, here at E3. 
And you can see that humility is one of these values. But if you read through them, I think you can also see that these values are all intertwined, right? We value authenticity here, being our authentic selves with each other, warts and all. And this will definitely require some humility, right? We value making room for all people here in this community. And this will require us to have a right-sized view of ourselves and a right-sized view of God. It will require us to humble ourselves and surrender our own rights and preferences to make sure that we aren't excluding someone else's. And it will require us trusting God with all of that. We will value growth in this community, which also requires humility because we have to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we don't have all of the answers. Only God does. We may think we do. We may think that we've been taught everything that we need to know. We're wrong. Growth is gonna require humility. I think we can say that humility can be tied to each of these values. We will have to humble ourselves in some way to live out these values. There are some of, these are some of the ways that this verse and that each of the Beatitudes influence the way that we live our lives. So I wanna give you a couple of key takeaways from this morning. Are you guys ready? The Beatitudes are less about what we do and more about who we are. We can't do more to make God love us more. He already loves us completely and fully, warts and all. Number two, meekness is not weakness. Humbling ourselves is actually what gives us power, the power to live in God's kingdom as the ones who inherit the earth. I asked the band to sing a song, the last song that they did, We Rise, because, and, and because it would tie in with this message, and, and I want to just reread this one verse. We, the, the opening verse, we rise by bowing. We rise by by bowing, we live by dying. Only you, God, can take the brokenness and make it something beautiful. Humbling ourselves is what gives us power. The power to live in God's kingdom as the ones who inherit the earth. Third, humility is not having an overinflated or an underinflated sense of yourself. The world's measurement of value is just simply not the same as God's. Don't put a label on yourself, good or bad, that God has not chosen for you. The last one is we have nothing that God needs. Nothing. Hear me when I say this. As awesome as you are, as, as well, not awesome as I am, but <laughs> that would be bad to say. There is nothing that I have that God needs but he wants us all just the same. So how do we cultivate our own meekness, our own humility? Well, for one thing, I think it's, it starts with stopping this comparison of ourselves to others. There is no value in thinking about our value in relation to someone else's value. Thank you for the amen. Our measuring stick for that is, is warped and we just need to stop. I think it does require us to consider others more than we consider ourselves. I think it is absolutely not thinking of ourselves as greater than or less than 
we are, is not overvaluing or undervaluing our gifts. It is recognizing that we are all equally in need of God's grace. And it is remembering how much we have been forgiven so that that can influence the way that we forgive others. Pride would have me say, look at how awesome or awful I am. And look at all that I can or can't do. But humility tells me to look at who God says I am and to look at what he's doing through me. Humility tells me to look at who God says you are and to look at all he's doing through you. In our world today, we don't always uh, link meek and humble, meekness and humility. We usually view humility as a choice that we make, right? I'm choosing to be humble. Don't get me started on that. But we, that's how we typically look at it, as a choice. And we also typically view meekness as some sort of an affliction. Am I right? But I would encourage you to instead look at it this way. Meekness is a humble authority. I actually think that both of these translations of these verses, uh, of this single verse, sorry, this morning, are appropriate for what Jesus is say, was saying then and for what he's saying to us now. For those of you who are afflicted, those who are sick, who, have, who are diseased, those of you who have been outcast or marginalized from society, by society, you are blessed and you will inherit the earth. And also, for those of you who are willing to humble yourselves, to right-size yourselves, to surrender yourself to an understanding of who I say you are instead of listening to who the world says you are, you are blessed and you will inherit the earth. Looking at and understanding who we are in these blessed are statements actually leads us pretty smoothly into communion, which we're going to do together this morning. Jesus with his words here is saying, I have come for you and I have given up everything to come for you because while you have nothing that I need, you are everything that I want just by being you. And, and so I want you to be in communion with me. I want you to take communion so that you can remember that you are in communion with me. Taking communion is a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. When he says, take my body, my blood, he is saying, here is all of me. I have humbled myself to the Father and I am giving you myself in every way possible and I want you to remember. So as we get ready to move into this time of communion together, this time of remembrance, I wanna um, just tell you a, a couple of things that, that for you to know. First, we have multiple stations for communion and each one, around the room, and each one of them has a gluten-free option and juice, so you can go to whichever one is, is closest to you. Second, as the band comes out, they're going to lead us in a song, and while they do that, I invite you, whether you are an owner here 
or or a first time guest, um, you, the table is open and uh, for everyone um, when they start the song. Um, we just invite you to come and to pick, but what I will say is I would like for you to come and pick up your elements and then take them back to your seat with you. And I ask you to hold on to them because I want us to take them together. After the song ends, I'll come back up. And we, we like to take the elements together sometimes because while communion is a personal and, and intimate time with God, it is also a communal time. It's an opportunity to remind us that we are in this community of people together, this community who God loves equally. So I'd like for you to bow your heads and let me pray over these elements. Father, we gather together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the incredible sacrifice that you made in sending Jesus, your beloved son, to be with us. We thank you for his legacy in his words and in his actions, in his humility, in his obedience by suffering on the cross. God, we come now asking for forgiveness for any thoughts or words or actions that didn't honor you that don't right now honor you. God, we ask that you would bless these elements and we invite you to move in our hearts as we receive them this morning. As we share this communion meal, we ask that you would bind us together as one family, filled with your love, your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that is at work in our lives. table is open. Come as you feel led. And I would invite you to take the elements back to your seat with you so that we can take them together. <laughs>